0: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 283. Today's episode is all about unlocking the power of self-healing with four essential mindfulness techniques.
1: Self-hatred isn't fertile ground for our healing. And so when I think about self-forgiveness, I think about grace and possibility of healing and compassion. I think about how I would show up for my kids if they made a mistake, if, when they make mistakes. I love them through it. You know what I mean? And it's like, how do we as adults love ourselves through the crazy shit we've done, the things we've been through, the places we've been that may not have been in alignment with what we said we wanted? Like, how do we soften with ourselves? And so for me being kind to myself by writing love notes to myself. And I thought it was so dumb when my therapist first told me, like, why don't you write some love notes to yourself? And I'm like, why would I do that? But that really changed my life. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love,
2: bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers,
1: and doers. It's
2: time to give your mind a little love with your host,
1: Melissa Monti.
0: If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Do you believe you have the ability to heal yourself? Or maybe we should back up. What even comes to mind when you hear the word, heal? Is it always in reference to something physical? Because for me, anything that disrupts my sense of peace is something that could use healing. Whatever we're looking to heal, back pain, migraines, cancer or anxiety, inner peace or lack of purpose, our minds play a powerful part in the process. And I know it's easy to doubt that that's possible, especially when we're in the middle of it, because when we're in survival mode, it's really hard to access optimism. It's actually impossible to access anything outside of the fight or flight response. But it is possible to train our nervous systems to come out of that response and even go into it less often. And it's also possible to heal ourselves, even with the physical things. It's always funny to me when people look at me with skepticism when I talk about our ability to self-heal because it's actually a scientific fact that placebos work in as many as 30 to 60% of patients. And think about that. Usually a placebo only involves a sugar pill or a saline injection. But people have so much belief that something is finally coming to help them that they convince their minds or bodies to heal. Just the belief that something will have an effect creates the effect. Now imagine that this belief doesn't just come from sugar or saline, but it comes from actually understanding yourself so that you can access your true power. You get clear on what's causing your self-sabotage or your doubts, whether it's your mindset or your lifestyle, and then you start to make conscious changes. Or you dive deep into your trauma to change your relationship with it, and with yourself. I wonder how powerful your beliefs will be then. Probably powerful enough to change the way you feel, right? And probably powerful enough to affect your decisions moving forward, right? To me, that's real sustainable healing. It not only changes how we are in this life, but it also changes what you believe yourself to be capable of, how you handle problems in the future, how you make choices, how you understand yourself. Rather than just looking outside of yourself for a magic pill or someone to come save you, you actually develop the tools to save yourself. So that's what we're learning about today. Our guest is Alex L. She's an author, certified breathwork coach, and restorative writing teacher. And her latest book is How We Heal writing came into her life by way of therapy and the exploration of healing through journaling and mindfulness and the whole intention behind Alex's work is to build community and self-care practices through literature and language so she teaches everything from workshops courses and retreats to assist people in finding their voices and create clarity in their lives and relationships so three key things we will learn are how to tend to self-doubt and make room for new beginnings how to befriend our fear so it no longer controls us, and how to reclaim our power by leaning into what feels good. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation, and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Alex L. to the show. Thanks for having me.
1: So what inspired your recent work on how we heal? Oh, that's a good question. Um I really wanted this book to be a reflection of like community, um a reflection of the multifacets that happen with healing and and so there's a little bit of everything in this book. There's my personal experience, There is my, there are, rather, my teachings, and also I interviewed some really awesome women um, about their healing process. So Intermixed is kind of like a, I don't know, it's like a mishmash of stories and reflections, but also meditations and journaling prompts. And I just wanted folks to realize that healing looks so different for everyone and that it doesn't have to look one way and so there's a lot of that in how we heal
0: tell us about the self-doubt that you experienced while writing this book because that was something i could totally relate to i was reading it and i, I was thinking oh my gosh i feel like she's in my brain and it, it felt like validation for me because sometimes that self-doubt does have the power to talk me out of things or i guess i should say i give it that power and i i think that there's truth in that that maybe I don't deserve to write this, or who am I to create this, or who am I to guide people through this when my life
1: has been such a mess? So what was your experience with that? I feel like what I'm learning on my on my journey is that self-doubt is a teacher, and it often invites me to remember what is true. That's a really hard thing to do when you're in the thick of it, right? What really shifts us towards our best self is is like looking at the self-doubt and saying, okay, what are you doing here? What are you trying to teach me? And what do I know to be true? And I, I, I have three children. I have a husband. We I was writing this book in the thick of the pandemic, a family of five, home, trying to write, trying to homeschool, trying to just breathe. It was so hard to even <laughs> have five seconds to create a clear mind. And so what I had to realize is that, okay, the, the type of space that I'm in right now is only feeding myself doubt because not only can I literally not do this thing because we have crying toddlers and a frustrated teenager or whatever. I also feel like, wow, this is never going to get done. And who am I to even write this book? And so on, on top of everything, it was just chaos. And so I decided to open up How We Heal sharing that story because I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only parent who's gone through this. I know I'm not the only author, woman, mother, friend. And so humanizing our healing and humanizing our self-doubt is major for me because then it opens up this can of vulnerability and accessibility and relatability, which I think is really important and goes hand in hand with my work as far as bringing community together, because I am a big believer that when we share our stories, even the rough and the nitty and the gritty, it brings us closer to one another. And so, you know, I look at myself self-doubt as a teacher. I don't love it, <laughs> but it's a part of the human experience for me and for everyone, I think.
0: <laughs> I have noticed this shift in my interviews lately how many people are coming back to the idea of community or just that ends up being such this resonating key point in what they're learning and i have this belief that if you are in tune with the collective if you allow yourself to open up to that then that's why it starts to become a theme and i'm like why is everyone talking about the same thing and it's funny because i was just working on an interview with dan siegel and his new book called interconnected And he talks about how our society and our brains and our wiring have all been guiding us or basically steering us towards this illusion of self, that self is isolated. And when that happens in the body, for example, when one cell starts to, work as its own entity rather than as part of the collective we call that cancer and so it's interesting when we think of healing and we think of our own journeys because you make that point quite a bit that like healing isn't just about this solitary act you say that healing our hearts is communal what have you been finding with that communal aspect of healing how does it is it is does it affect the whole or is it affected by the whole or both what have you uncovered there
1: So I've been centering community care in my work for 10 years since I started. And I think that self-care is an act of community care. I think that when we heal ourselves, we heal each other. I mean, I open up how we heal with that and healing is an act of community service in my mind. And so I do think it is this experience where we are not only healing ourselves, but we're healing our lineage both forward and backward. We are leading by example, healing by example. And what is really beautiful to me about that is remembering and trusting that my healing isn't just for me. It's also for my daughters. It's also for my students and my clients. It's also for my marriage, right? And so it's like when we look at it on a micro level, it invites us to to see that this is not just about us. I mean, many folks have trauma in their DNA. There has been a lot of research on that, especially Black folks. And I am a Black woman. And so something I've been talking about, especially when I was on tour and when I've been teaching is if there is trauma in our DNA, there can also be joy. There can also be healing. So reframing things on a cell on a cellular level is magnificent and it's possible. And I do think that has a lot to do with how we allow community to hold us and how we also show up in the world. Even if we're not best friends with someone or coworkers with someone, perhaps it's just in passing. Like I I love when a stranger smiles at me when I'm on my morning walks and we ex- exchange that sense of, I see you. And so healing for me is this permission slip to be seen and also to see other people because the the healed parts of me can now realize and look at and hold compassion for the unhealed parts of someone else. And I think that that, too, is collective care and communal care. That's
0: so true, because in my most unhealed periods of life, I also placed the most blame. I was the most judgmental. And it's because I was projecting all of my own issues onto other people. Those were the things that were highlighted and it was easier to see them in somebody else than it was to see them in myself. When I was dating people, it was easier to fix them and say what they needed to work on than see my own flaws and and what I was ignoring and still needed to work through. And it's interesting because I've gone through these sort of oscillations of understanding and and seeing even the healing work that my family or my ancestors have done my family is my mom's side of my dad's side they were divorced pretty much my whole life so they just seem like very clear different sides of family And one of them mm-hmm. hasn't gone through much at all and they also tend to focus on all of the little things these make them big problems really and Mm, mm -hmm. the other side has gone through great trauma that's where my ancestral trauma comes from I've shared with my audience before that my dad had it really hard his he was the oldest of eight kids and his dad killed his mom and committed suicide and Mm. blamed my dad because my dad was the one trying to fight back and protect the family Mm. and so my dad had that to carry and i was raised in a religious home and i don't Mm -hmm. really identify with the religion anymore there's things that i gained from it there's also things that i felt like maybe it hindered i don't know everything happens as it should though and and for a long time i i sort of felt like i was the only person that was trying and Mm. i really resonated with how you talked about um, being it was lonely to be the only matriarch of healing for your lineage but the more i set off on this healing path, the more that's opening up to me, where I can actually see, you know, my dad started it in a different way than I did. Mm. And he, he was sober pretty much my whole life. And now I have stopped drinking as of like 500 days ago or something like that. But he did what he could and he found religion to save himself. Whereas mm. I kind of identify more with a broader spiritual journey. And so it's interesting how if you would have asked me seven years ago, I would have been like, no, I'm the only one doing this. (laughs) And now I'm like, no, you know, people have found their ways. They've just found different ways than I have. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline. Or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. if you would have asked me seven years ago, I would have been like, no, I'm the only one doing this. (laughs) And now I'm like, no, you know, people have found their ways. They've just found different ways than I have.
1: Yeah. And I, I love that. I love that distinction. Like people have found their different ways of showing up and in their healing, right? And I think that's really where I've learned to exercise more empathy and compassion when it comes to my mother. Um, I'm completely disconnected from my biological father's side of the family. I don't know much about them. Um, but when it comes to my mom, it's interesting. Like when I started looking at her as a woman and not just my mother, the empathy and compassion really started to open up for me. And then I could see like, yeah, I may be the only one healing this way, but I'm sure that in some phase of my mother's life, she thought that what she was doing would be healing for the moment, right? So it's like looking at how people show up and how they try to show up, even if it's not the same way that we would show up.
0: And I can relate to those, the mother-daughter triggers (laughs) just so much. Like my mom and I have a great relationship, but she's also my as Rhonda Byrne puts it, personal emotional trainer, (laughs) she can trigger me more than anybody in this world. And there'll be times where I'm like deep into my healing work, just doing the work. And I see the way I'm showing up in my family with my husband and my kid or with my friends. And then I go home for the weekend and (laughs) I feel like I've just reverted back to like, teenage angst I'm like Mm -hmm, am I making mm -hmm. no progress at all right and it's funny I think it was like I think it might have been Ram Dass I don't know maybe not but somebody said if you think you're enlightened spend a weekend with your family and I was like thank you I feel so seen you wrote this so long ago but it brings up the point that you teach about how some things will always need tending to in our healing, even if we thought we were further along in the process. Can you talk about
1: that? So I wrote something um, last year that said, give yourself permission to heal from the same thing more than once. And the reason why I wrote that is because society teaches us to, to move on, to get over it, to go on to the next thing. And something that I realized in this healing journey in particular is that certain things are always going to hurt. And an example of that could be like the loss of a loved one. My mother-in-law, not my mom. My mother-in-law died six years ago. And my husband said to me, this is never going to not hurt. It's all about how I deal with the hurt when it shows up, the tenderness, the aching. And I just remember thinking that... Like aching, the self-soothing, that is what's so beautiful about the healing process because it's not about moving on or getting over. It's about being with everything that shows up as we are healing, as we are mending, as we are experiencing joy in the midst of grief or gratitude in the midst of grief, right? So I often say to folks, listen, it is absolutely okay that you are still triggered. By something you thought you healed from. Because at the end of the day, there's no destination when it comes to healing. It's a work in progress. It's a forever love. And that's special. Even though it's annoying, it's special.
0: (laughs) I'm tearing up over here. (laughs) Because I have those things. And a lot of them, actually. Mm -hmm. And they're at different stages of that. And so they show up in totally Mm -hmm. different ways. The one that still gets me to cry... I hate that it sounds silly, but people with dogs know. <laughs> I lost my dog of 15 years in May, and mm, sorry. Oh, it was just such a deep loss for me. Like he was just my family during my hardest times, and and I I feel it in my body whenever it comes up, and and I'm also pregnant, so the tears come a lot faster. I'm okay over here, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's funny because I loved that dog so much like we were so close people were really worried about me when he, <laughs> he passed because
1: yeah. they were just like oh my gosh
0: we've known you with him we, we haven't known you without him type thing and Mm-mm. and what I found so surprising though was that one of the biggest things that came up was this almost regret or I was mm. I was beating myself up because When I first got him in my twenties, that was when my life was the biggest shit show. (laughs) And so it's part of why our bond was so strong was because Mm. I was I felt broken. And I that was when I was discovering that I could find a healing journey and that, you know, I was still spiraling part of the time. And then I was sort of trying to climb out. I was just making a lot of mistakes. And so I could not show up for myself properly, let alone for something else. And I really have said so many times that maverick saved my life on a number of occasions just having something else to care for like gave me a reason to get up and and it's like the moment he died i was crushed with this guilt of why couldn't i be for him what he was for me in the beginning and for some reason it's like my mind wouldn't let me see that i eventually became that thing those things because of what he showed me I feel mm. like I'm, like, overly emotional right now about it. No. You just feel like a safe space, you know? And so, um, anyways, it's it's just – it's funny how those uh, those regrets or the guilt or – it's really the, the insight of where I need to forgive myself. And those things mm. have come up so often. Another example that just recently came up and I had, like, this enlightening moment was I had this whole – Like the basically my deepest rock bottom with this guy that I was dating that turned out to be a horrible person that nearly uh, he was he ended up being a secret criminal and nearly ruined my life all this stuff and he also gave me a book in the beginning the mastery of love by don miguel ruiz and it was so (laughs) odd knowing him as long as i did that was the only thing of that kind that he gave to me you know like he wasn't that kind of person i don't even know if he read it i feel like it might have been part of his like facade that he put on but i had this moment the other day where i was like listening to my own story and it was bringing up these feelings and I'm like okay I'm used to telling my story but sometimes when I hear it it'll hit me differently and it's like that poor girl what she went through and then I realized that he was the one who gave me that book because somebody asked me about it and I I had this aha moment of like you know how sometimes you look at your story and you're like okay yes I I've trained myself to see that it's happened for a reason but I can still get into the mindset depending on my mood of like wasn't there an easier way like really you had to do all that how much time did i waste while my other friends were you know saving for a house or something like that and i'm doing all this ketchup and so it was just this moment where i just felt this message that like that book was the seed planted where god the universe was showing me like That did happen for a reason. It happened exactly as it should because that book was one of the biggest stepping stones to even realizing that healing myself was possible, that I wasn't Mm -hmm. just at mercy of what could happen. And so I know that self-forgiveness is such a big part of your message. How do you approach it? And I think what was hard for me is even uncovering the parts that I needed to forgive. Like I didn't even know I was harboring this self-resentment. So what's your process for that?
1: Oh, self-forgiveness is a daily practice. <laughs> and something that I say in How We Heal is self-hatred isn't fertile ground for our healing. And so when I think about self-forgiveness, I think about grace and possibility of healing and compassion. I think about how I would show up for my kids if they made a mistake, if, when they make mistakes. I love them through it. You know what I mean? And it's like, how do we as adults love ourselves through the crazy shit we've done, the things we've been through, the places we've been that may not have been in alignment with what we said we wanted? Like, how do we soften with ourselves? And so for me, that started in therapy when I was in my 20s. Like, being kind to myself by writing love notes to myself. And I thought it was so dumb when my therapist first told me, like, why don't you write some love notes to yourself? And I'm like, why would I do that? But that really changed my life. Being kind to myself, especially when I dropped the ball, especially when no one else around me was being kind. Like, how do I hold and love myself through this thing? And so it's a little bit deeper to me than I forgive myself for, but more so like, how are my actions leading with grace and forgiveness? And some days that's really hard, especially in motherhood, but also it teaches me so much about how to see myself and how to see others. And that's been really beautiful for me on this journey of healing and evolution is like, how can you be soft with yourself? This world can be a hard place for folks, for for all folks from all walks of life, right? How do we soften into ourselves? How do we become a safe space for ourselves? And I think I'm just now in my 30s, like learning how to be soft, softer with myself, it's difficult. I, can you give us an example of
0: what that might look like in practice?
1: Yeah. So a couple of months ago, I I mentioned I have three kids. One just turned 15 yesterday, 11, 20. She turned 15. I don't know when this will air. So I'll just say, one just turned 15. One is four and the other is three. And my oldest is an amazing kid. She's so awesome. And I said something or did something or, or didn't say or didn't do something that hurt her feelings. I don't remember what happened, but she her feelings were hurt. And she told me that I was being insensitive and that I hurt her feelings. And immediately, I apologized to her. Not, I'm sorry, and, or I'm sorry, but. But I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. What can I do better next time? How can I love you better next time? And it was easy for me to apologize. Like I didn't grow up with adults apologizing to me, but I knew that a part of breaking cycles in my life was that I was going to be apologizing to my kids if I did something that hurt them. We talked through it and we hugged and kissed after. And I have been mindful of. What I say or what I don't say, how I say something, et etc. But I remember after leaving her room feeling like such a complete failure for hurting her feelings. And I felt like I let her down like I was traumatizing her. I just it was I just went down a whole spiral so and, and it was it was intense. And so I had to ask myself, how can I love you through this? and what can we do better next time? And that was the same thing I asked my kid is something I asked myself. And I had to be honest with myself and say, you are just a human. You are an amazing mother. You are a kind, empathetic mother. Sometimes we don't have the best days. And you you are open to fixing your behavior and your mistakes with your kids. Forgive yourself for being insensitive. And it was in that moment where I had to talk to my husband. And he was like, look, it's it's all right. We all have bad days. Charlie, my oldest, she was she was like, Mom, I love you. It's okay. We all have bad days. I can be insensitive sometimes. We, you know, we laugh about it and stuff. But it's just like showing our children that we're human and that we're also, we also deeply love them, even when we are wrong or when we drop the ball is magnificent, but we also have to not beat ourselves up over getting it wrong, especially as, as we raise humans, because it's hard. And so a big part of my healing work has been to give myself grace, not just in motherhood, but in life, and also love myself how I love other people, which can be deeply challenging when you don't when you are the matriarch of healing and you've never seen love or you've never had an apology from an adult you know what i'm saying like if you don't know what you're doing <laughs> it is hard and we are all learning along the way and it's like okay how do we, how do we improve and then how do we not hate ourselves through the mistake that we made how do we instead fix our behavior and love ourselves through it
2: risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order.
0: It's such a relatable example and something that's been on my mind a lot. I'm pregnant with my second. My first will be exactly two when this one comes. And mm. and so I still have a little bit of time before I have those deeper conversations. But the type of person I am, I'm already thinking about it. Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to handle this? How am I going to make sure that he is okay with his emotions, that he welcomes them? How am I going to make sure that I'm modeling what goodness is what what all of these mm-hmm. concepts are that we're talking about how do I model those and and man if anything it's a kick in the butt for my own healing like I am yeah. <laughs> me- immediately have a mirror towards what I have been neglecting even with all of my years of healing work and so one of the things that uh comes up though with the example that you gave and I feel like with kids it's a little different i will apologize to my kids if i ever hurt their feelings no matter what even if i'm looking and i'm like really that hurt your feelings (laughs) but (laughs) i feel like it's a it's a collective conversation that keeps coming up even in society it's like people are talking about well should everything be apologized for every time somebody's offended or where's the line of of seeing of also teaching people to not let that penetrate in a way and and like I said it's totally different when it comes from your parents I feel like it's Mm -hmm. always a separate conversation Mm -hmm. but what is that what do you think about that topic because it is a kind of a push and pull like no, everyone's too offended these days. Everyone affects, uh, expects an apology for everything and and then on the other mm. side it's like yeah, but we can do better, can't we? Look at the <laughs> that the <laughs> effects of our actions like and there right. is a line there. I can I can get into the mindset of both sides depending on the
1: topic. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? I think there's nothing wrong with apologizing if you hurt someone. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And when it and and specifically thinking of parenthood, it's the it's the acknowledgement of the hurt feeling of the way you made someone else feel, your child in this case, that I think is what creates emotional safety, is what makes children see and trust and believe that they matter and that their feelings matter, and while they'll go out into the world and people will be like, I'm not apologizing to you for that, they. I think we'll have less of a hard time when that happens because they know themselves in a way that, because they were seen as children. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I know for me personally, I never had adults apologizing to me. And I grew up in a very volatile, very abusive home. And that is something for me that one I do not want to of course I'm not volatile or abusive to my children but if they say that hey that hurt my feelings that is like that's emotional safety when a child can say to their parents you hurt my feelings and for us not to dismiss it and be like ugh that and that can that, and d- don't get me wrong sometimes you want to say that especially <laughs> in teenaged but <laughs> or and <laughs> and, and saying I'm sorry I made you feel that way is so important. It's important to me. I don't, it's really hard to put into words. It's about the acknowledgement. It's about the creating of emotional safety. And even when I look at my four and a half year old and my three year old, they're 20 months apart. It's pure chaos in this house with them and they can be really rough and tumble and all of that. And that they can hurt each other. They can hurt each other's feelings. But it's second nature for them to say, I'm sorry. Because they hear us saying that to each other. And it's not like, we're not just teaching them to say, I'm sorry. We're also teaching them to change the behavior, right? So it's like, I think it's cyclical. And I also understand where people are coming from, where it's like, people are too sensitive these days. But I don't think sensitivity is a bad thing. I think that if you hurt someone, whether it was your intention or not, an apology is important it creates emotional safety it creates empathy it creates connection it is communal care and that's the best way that i can put it and my oldest is so in tune with her feelings and her emotions like even with her friends when they have falling out or whatever she leads with such maturity and boundaries and kindness and it's and i truly believe it's because we create safety in our home with how to interact with people with how to change your behavior with how to if you hurt someone with not just saying i'm sorry but demonstrating you know like it's it's important it creates better human beings <laughs> i really believe that <laughs> you know less you know passive aggressiveness less judgmentalness you know it's more like human to human and humans are messy and sometimes shit is like damn you're mad about that but like we have to acknowledge that people will feel how they feel. And if we love and value someone and their feelings, there is nothing wrong with an apology.
0: Yeah, I totally followed that. And I had like many epiphanies as you were speaking, like the collective masterminds of both of our <laughs> wisdom coming together. And, <laughs> and one of the things that came up t- for me is uh, I think the biggest problem piece that you said that I'm like yes yes is the acknowledgement because that's something you learn when you're raising kids I've read a bunch of parenting books at this point and and it's interesting dealing with the toddler because you can't just sit them down and logic with them you know and, right and there's so you, no logic with a toddler yeah. <laughs> and so you have to acknowledge their feelings and most of their feelings by an adult standard are gonna be ridiculous it's like okay like you asked for a piece of cheese then you threw the piece of cheese on the floor and now you're upset like what (laughs) you know and so it's like (laughs) these little things but it it teaches me so much because whereas my first thought was yes I would handle it differently with my own kids what I feel like is expected from me and in managing their feelings is different from a friend or somebody else or a stranger online but then the more I sat with it and listened to you speak I thought about the idea that No. Everybody, first of all, needs their feelings acknowledged. And I think that is
1: Mm -hmm. one of
0: the big step that gets missed if somebody sits there and they're like, well, like I I understand the concept of like, okay, if I said something to somebody and I meant no harm by it and it touched a wound of theirs that I did not know existed and then they're upset, is that Mm -hmm. my fault? no, it's, it's mm. not really my fault, but mm-hmm. my choice to be a friend to that person or to be somebody, even if it's not a friend, it's somebody that I just come in in mm-hmm. uh, contact with my choice. It's how do I want to be in this world? Well, yes. I want to be somebody that leaves somebody feeling better than when I first got there. And yes. if that's what I'm trying to create, then that requires something different than saying, well, no, this is your problem and not mine. And I had a friend once and I, Uh, that I, I remember I was, it was during a really lonely period of my life. Like I had to be out and about if I was at home, it was like my trauma would build up and I, I just didn't know how to be alone with my thoughts. And I felt left out with something, sent a message about it, explaining this. And, and she just responded with, with, uh, I can't be responsible for your emotions around this, something like that. And I remember Mm. at the time it felt like a, a knife to the chest. But, like, a few years later, we ended up getting together for dinner, and I ended up thanking her for that moment because I sat with Hmm. it for a very long time, and I was like, you know, you're right. You weren't responsible for that, and I do see how I was overreacting. But now that years have passed even that, now that I've gone through my own journey, do I think that was the easiest way I could have learned? Not saying it was her responsibility to teach me that, but, like, it didn't feel good at the time. I felt worse at the time. Like, there Mm -hmm. are different ways to say, like, to approach people with that and I think one of the best ways for me in the way of how I feel seen if say this were happening between me and my husband and he hurt my feelings without meaning to or vice versa Mm -hmm. curiosity even like yes like if I don't understand why I hurt somebody there's a lot to be said about actually asking what was about what was it about that what wound did that open up for you I mean however you want to you want to voice this, but then it's a conversation. And together, just like I said, with the collective masterminding of our wisdom, different things come up. A lot of times we both don't have the answers. I feel yep. triggered by something and I don't even realize why I'm triggered by it. I've got to go layers deep. And somebody mm-hmm. being willing to create that space for me and saying, like, well, what was it about that? That can help me unravel things that need healing. That can actually, rather than leaving me alone in even more despair, and it takes three years for me to come to this conclusion of thank you for doing that for me. Instead, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like being this space right there. That's who I want to be for people.
1: Mm, I love that. I, but I think that also comes with the healing that we've done, mm-hmm. the place that we are on our path. Something I tell my clients and students all the time is like, just because we're on this path in our healing doesn't mean someone else is, you know, like, and that's okay. Sometimes we are much further and not, and further doesn't mean better. Let me just clarify. But we, sometimes we are much further than someone else might be and vice versa. I know that when I was in the beginning stages of my healing, there were some things <laughs> that <laughs> I am not proud of. You know, the things that I didn't handle well, the conversations that I didn't have, the lack of self-awareness enough to be curious about someone else, right? And so I think it's all a learning. It's all a learning phase and process and holding the care, the community care for each other is so valuable, deeply valuable. And, but I do think that requires self-awareness that requires getting curious Even if we're annoyed, like I'm a married person, I have a husband, and there's some times where it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, like, are we on? Are we reading the same book? You know, like, but it's how hard is it to hang out over the right bar? (laughs)
0: Listen, listen.
1: (laughs) So let's get down to, babe. Let's get down to why this is challenging for you. But like just holding things like we're being funny right now but like truly holding things with love. I think that's what it comes down to. Holding things with love and curiosity and understanding compassion. Like not there's not a lot of people who are taught to do that. We are learning as we go, you know? And so, you know, we'll have to learn the hard way more times than not. But I think getting, we're getting there. I think we're all getting closer <laughs> a <Yeah>. little.
0: <laughs> That's what I think is so beautiful about intimate relationships. Yes, they can trigger you a whole lot and and all the little things come up. But like I said earlier with children, it's another version of a mirror that shows us. And depending on the type of partnership you have, if the person's on the same healing journey, that can go even faster because yeah, imagine a couple who's always willing to like be curious about each other's triggers rather than, Oh, you're bringing this up again. You're nagging me about this again. Mm -hmm. And instead you create space together to be able to allow those things to arise. Because one of the other things that you teach is realizing and naming your needs. And I shared how I, I, didn't even understand my needs. I had triggers, but I didn't know where they were coming from. I thought my trigger was somebody not texting me back. I didn't know that my trigger was actually feeling alone. <laughs> you know, like the it, mm. just going layers deeper or feeling like I was on a path by myself so often, not not feeling seen. And so it might sound the same, not texting back, not being seen, but they're two very different things. One's this surface level sort of material manifestation of it. The other thing is like this deeper wound. And so if we're mm. always just focusing on the trigger, then we only see those surface level things and we don't get to the root cause. It's like taking an Advil when we have a consistent headache and not saying like, why have I had a headache for 3 years? <laughs> you know, mm. like maybe there's something yeah. else that I can do. Yeah. And so that for me has that willingness to hold that space for other people has come from understanding that I don't always know why I'm triggered, that I don't always know my needs until I Mm. have that space or this specific situation comes up and it uncovers for me or whatever it is. And so it makes me more patient with other people when I'm like, do you even know what you're talking about? You're just lashing out at me. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, Mm. Why do you think that it's so difficult to not just name our needs? Because that's a whole thing about enforcing boundaries that we could probably talk about forever also. But sometimes we can't even really see them enough to name them effectively. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start
2: aligning
0: Why do you think that it's so difficult to not just name our needs? Because that's a whole thing about enforcing boundaries that we could probably talk about forever also. But sometimes we can't even really see them enough to name them
1: effectively. You know what? I love what you just said about willingness. Like, that's such a strong word. That actually gave me chills, like the willingness. And I think when we're in relationships that leave us feeling seen, safe, and supported, There's a different type of willingness that we have to name our needs, or maybe, maybe it's not the naming of the need, but the exploring of the needs and the wants so that we can figure out how we want to be in relationship with other people. So that word willingness, and, and it just feels deliberate. It feels deliberate and feels, it feels on purpose and it opens up possibility. So I, when it comes to naming needs for me, it's not necessarily about boundaries all the time. Like a lot of times it's about self-advocacy and literally saying like, this is what I need from you, or this is what I want from you. And having those conversations that can be really challenging, but also really nourishing And I do think that we have to have some sort of um, emotional safety to do that. Like feel safe to be able to show up with our needs in tow or with our wants in tow.
0: And I'm having more aha moments just around. I I agree completely around the, the feeling safe because I think one of the reasons that I that it's taken me so long to feel safe in expressing my needs, vocalizing them, has been because I've been afraid, like, well, will this be too much for you and you'll leave?
1: Mm-hmm. Because I've
0: always been just sort of felt solo my whole life. Only child, moving a lot, um, switching schools. I don't know, didn't do well in group projects, just all the things. It was like me being my little free bird on my own. And there were things that I used to be really proud of about that and it's like the older I get and the more that I realize just the collective nature of of life and I think health really, how we sort of touched on earlier around how our our minds and our wiring sort of sets us off that we're these little individual entities, but we are so much more a part of the collective than we think. And that collective's supposed to be there. That's why it's harder to heal, I think, on my own because I don't have those mirrors. And I don't, you know, if I'm living in an apartment by myself for years, yeah, I can think I'm enlightened, but then I go spend time with somebody, and that's when a trigger comes. It's really easy not to be triggered if you're the only one
1: there, you know. And so, correct, so, correct. You know, in all of these
0: ways, the community is what sort of moves us forward. And I, I'm, as the years go on, the older I get, the more I just see that that is what life is supposed to be. And so, with expressing my needs one of the things that's coming up recently is I am, I'm six months pregnant and my husband and I are both entrepreneurs. We both work from home. It can get kind of chaotic. There's a toddler here. We're like, who needs to take him for this? What, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. I am getting to the stage where I'm needing a lot more rest, but I don't Mm -hmm. identify with that. (laughs) You know, like I see myself (laughs) in this other way. So that rest period is difficult for me. I feel like even though this isn't even the reality of the situation When I'm laying down on the couch and he comes down at like 2.30 PM, in my mind, I create this whole story about how he's looking at me not being productive, especially if we have childcare, like we're paying for you to lay down, you know, stuff like that. And and then Mm -hmm. I'll talk to him about it. And he's like, I wasn't thinking that at all. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I'm clearly projecting what I'm thinking, you know? And, And so that has been the hardest thing to voice lately is just my need for resting but it always has been and you have this whole section in your book that I was like yes because it's not just pregnancy that calls in the rest it's part of the healing journey in general it's that period where we sit back and we've done all this work and that part can be addictive where we just feel like okay Mm -hmm. next book next book next book but what we forget and what I forgot probably the first seven years of self-development was that I need time to let each of these things integrate because if I move on to the next thing too quickly, then I've forgotten the first thing, you know, like maybe little tidbits will stay with me, but it's not the same as like actually sitting back and being like, okay, who am I now? And taking notice of those things. And, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things I always try to do. Like even just after a meditation, if I just meditate, get up and go, it's harder to come back to it for me because It's just something that happened versus meditating and sitting there and being like, how do I feel right now? How is it different than when I got here? Like, what is my inner peace like? What -hmm. what wisdom is coming to me? And when I spend time doing that, then the next time it's like, oh, remember that bliss right afterwards? And the same Mm -hmm. thing happens in all of my healing. It's like, yeah, remember, this deep work feels hard and I want to run from it but remember how blissful I felt afterwards? Do you remember how many things I noticed that change in my life afterwards? But we have to create the space to actually notice those things in order to understand what's happening within us or even to allow those happenings to occur, if that makes sense.
1: Makes a lot of sense. I love how you say allow it to occur. You know, like that's that's important. Being able to sit with the stuff being able to be present, choosing presence, sitting with it, not rushing through it. Emotional rest is important. Slowing down is important. I mean, we live in super, a super fast-paced world. I, I was recently thinking about this because I was on a seven-city book tour for How We Heal. Ten days, seven cities. Wow. And I kept having to say to myself, be here now. Don't think about the next flight. Don't think about the next show. Just be here. And it was so hard to be deliberate about being present, about choosing presence. And what I realized is that I need to get better, not need, I want, deeply want to get better at being with what is in front of me when it comes to everything. Savoring a piece of cake, holding my children's hand, laughing with my husband, going for my morning walks. Like, how do I be with what's right here, right now? Because so often, we're not. We're on to the next thing. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been working for myself for 10 years. And I look up sometimes and I'm like, damn, it has been 10 years. How? I feel like I've missed, I've, I've done so much, but I've missed so much. And so getting intentional about being with what is here and now, I think is huge, especially when it comes to our healing. And the reason why I think that is because healing is not just about the mending of a wound or the repairing of something that's been broken. It's also about being with the joy that comes up. And so if we are so busy moving through our healing that we forget to be with the joy, are we really healing? And that's something I've had to ask myself. If you're just rushing through this thing without savoring, without greeting the joy that's at your door, even if you may be in grief, are you really giving yourself permission to heal? Because I think joy is a part of our healing process. It should be a part of our healing practice. But we have to slow down and choose presence in order to see it. And that is a work in progress for me. Ooh, I love that. And it brings up one of the
0: things that used to come up for me was I would oscillate between growth and setbacks. Hmm. And it was like, you actually had a quote in your book that just resonated so completely. You said something around, you kept trying to fix yourself in the same environments that broke you down and left you distracted from doing the healing work. And so mm-hmm. I was in that same period in my 20s where I would just get on these fixes. I was doing yoga and I would read all these books and and but I wasn't surrounded by anybody that was doing the same thing and so it was very easy for me to just like backslide.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so then as I ended up slowly making changes to my life, you know, one person at a time, sort of attracting somebody new, not even really noticing that my life was shifting, Mm -hmm. even doing the work in the harder ways (laughs) and not really seeing where I was was setting myself back. But I was worried that if I wasn't constantly on that fast track of progress, that I was then going to spiral back because that's Mm -hmm. what had happened for the first few years. What I didn't see was basically what you had voiced so well about being in the environment that broke you down i was still in that and Mm -hmm. i i didn't really see when i had started to move out of that but because of that i had this fear where i was having a hard time discerning between what was a rest period an integration period and seeing that as just a time that i was not making progress and Mm -hmm. i had planned to ask you like well how do you know which one you're choosing if you're choosing to sort of cease the progress or if you're choosing to rest and integrate and I think you answered it and it's in the presence because I think even if we choose again that willingness word to be in the present moment whether it hurts whether it's joy that in itself is going to make progress whether we're realizing it or not not saying that progress is the end-all be-all i think being really is (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and learning to be in that state of peace but if we're in that present moment we not only are able to see more of we talked about so many different things but one of the things was like triggers that come up and thinking it's the surface level thing versus oh it's actually a wound that's a few layers under that or whether it's the self-forgiveness just feeling uncomfortable in the moment and then realizing, oh, no, this is kind of a resentment that I'm holding on to myself. All of those things are found in the present moment. Mm. And what we tend to do is we create all these stories about ourselves and other people. And and then we're either living in the past or in the future or just in the story that we made up and it's an illusion completely. (laughs) And so it helps (laughs) us to see parts of ourselves that are just covered up or we've been hiding or we have been ashamed to kind of pull out, but it also helps us to see what comes up for other people. I find that the more present I am, it's like I can be having a conversation with somebody and it's pick up on the tiniest subtleties where yeah. I'm like, ooh, I want to pause here. I can mm-hmm. see that twitch in the face, or I felt the quiver in the voice, and so subtle that most people wouldn't notice it. But I, I can see it. And and in my mind, usually I'm like, oh, that's why I'm here. Like I need to hold space for that. Or I want to hold space for that. I'm willing to hold space for that. And Mm -hmm. it reminds me of this story. It's, it's kind of the last thing I want to unravel, but I thought there were so many lessons in it. You told this story about the mean lady and trying to get her to speak to you. Mm -hmm. Will you share that story? Because there's so many (laughs) lessons in it that I feel like we can unravel.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we used to live in an apartment years ago and we had a neighbor who everyone looked at her like the mean lady because she wasn't very nice and she looked mean. That's the best way to put it. And I don't want to say I would go out of my way to be kind to her, but I would be a little bit more intentional about like holding the elevator for her or smiling at her or saying hello. And like nine times out of 10, she would look at me like she couldn't stand me, that I was so annoying. <laughs> and um, like, why does she hold the elevator open for me? Go up to the third floor and like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> like, close the door. But then one day when well, my husband had said, stop talking to her. She doesn't want you to talk to her. She, she She's mean. Stop talking to her. And I just said, no. I said, one day she is going to speak to me. So then it became kind of a game, like a game of compassion. I don't know if that counts. I don't know if Tik Khan <laughs> will be happy about me saying that. But I just really knew, I knew that she was hurting because I knew that look. I knew that look. I could feel it in my body because I used to have that look. And I used to think like, what did she go through? She would be with her daughter a lot of the time. And her daughter was the sweetest, most kind little girl. But she was always clinging to her mom. And I remember thinking, like, what is she protecting her mama from? Like, what what is their story? And so I continued to be kind. I stopped saying hello, but I did like smile. I did still hold the elevator open. And then one day I smiled at her and she smiled back at me. And I thought I was going to die. I was like, <laughs> you would have thought Beyonce smiled at me or something. I was like, oh my, in my mind, I'm just like, oh my God, she. She smiled at me. And then I think I said, like, it's a a nice day outside or something. Or maybe she said it. I don't know. But we were, like, having a moment. And I was just feeling good and happy for her. Like, something shifted. What good news did she get? Like, I don't know this woman. I I don't know her story. Nothing. But I was just thrilled that she had a glimpse of joy. That she was willing to share with me. I ran home and I was like, babe, she... She smiled at me. The lady, she smiled at me, and he was like, "Are you serious?" Like it was a whole <laughs> thing because like no one could get her to be smiley or say hello or anything. And so we had a moment, and I and I shared that. So my editor actually wanted to take that whole section out of how we heal. I don't know why, but she was like, "It doesn't fit." And I was like, "Oh no, this fits because this is community care right here. Like allowing someone to feel held and seen." even if it's just through a smile. And like, she felt safe enough for whatever reason that day. And she wanted to be seen by me for whatever reason that day, because she had something, there was something that had softened in her. And I remember thinking like, I remember when that happened for me, when I softened, when I stopped being so angry, even if it was just for that elevator ride, you know? And It just reminded me of the power of collective care and compassion and humanity and it's so funny I actually recently saw her and we didn't speak but she saw me and I saw her and it was this very clear I hadn't seen her in years since this happened and she we didn't smile or anything but we saw each other and it was that I know who you are type of vibe and um I just think that that's beautiful. I think I think we were both kind of shocked to see each other because it had been so long, but it was kind of like we were having a moment where it was like, oh my gosh. Like She was probably like, there's my annoying neighbor from the third floor from all those years ago. And I was like, oh, there's the, I don't even call her the mean lady anymore. I was like, there's the lady who finally smiled at me. So I just thought that was a lighthearted way, but also a really impactful way to share communal care. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, that was in a, in a nutshell. That's the story.
0: <laughs> See, I got so many, so many things from that. And, and two of the biggest things that came up, it reminds me of different things I've done in the past, but the biggest thing was meeting people where they are. That because part. there's been times in whether it's intimate relationship, friendship, whatever, where I'm like, I'm doing all these things for you. What do you do for me type thing? And then I get a shift of perspective and I'm like, oh, we have different love languages. You, I do gifts or something like that for you. You do quality time. <laughs> I'm not as good as the, at that one. And And with this former mean lady, now just lady, she like maybe she wasn't ready for the conversation. She didn't wanna open herself up to having to do that often, but she could handle the smile. Or maybe the smile showed that she was in the presence of peace or a safe space Mm. or something like that. And that's what allowed her to come out. And so there's so many different things in that. And it just, we had talked about earlier how just because we're further in certain areas does not mean we're better and that's so true and it's something that i feel like the further in self development you get the more you have to remind yourself because you start looking at your family why am i the only one doing this work you guys aren't mm-hmm. helping or or you get in a, an argument with a friend who doesn't have any of the tools and you're like this wouldn't this wouldn't even be an argument if you did any sort of work on yourself <laughs> you know and so right, right. and we tend to like project these things and it's like Well, there wouldn't be work for me to do if everyone was doing the Mm. exact same thing. You know, like, thank you, universe, for giving me these people, for putting me in this situation where I'm better able to see parts of myself that still need attention, love and care. Mm. And so in that moment with the lady, it's that presence. It's the willingness to be in the moment that maybe you didn't even know what you were going to do at that moment. Maybe you didn't know you were going to smile anymore, but... It happened because you were present enough that that's what you felt called to do and so i just felt like it was such a a great story to
1: end on thank you because that story almost didn't make the book but i'm so glad it made the book (laughs) you can send your editor this clip (laughs)
0: see (laughs) well thank you for this conversation I absolutely loved it. This is just going to be one of my favorite episodes. And so for listeners that are resonating with you as much as I am and want to learn more, where's the best place that they can connect with you and find your book?
1: oh yeah so alexl.com all the things are there i have a gratitude newsletter on substack .substack alexl.substack.com and of course i'm on instagram i'm just at alex on instagram don't ask me how i got it i got it i'm at alex (laughs) people are always like how did you get that magic and yes i look forward to being in community with you all and thank you so much for having me melissa this was really great and fun and i'm honored um, that you invited me on all the links for this episode
0: will be at mindlove.com slash 283. Your challenge for this week is to just journal. I found that that's one of the best ways to get in touch with myself, whether it's a new perspective on what I'm going through or new ideas from my higher self on how to heal those things. I was reading something recently about how just five minutes of journaling if you have a way to actually access your old journals whether you're going back and reading through them you're using a note-taking application that actually connects ideas for you my latest obsession which I'll tell you about in a minute but just being able to journal and look back at it for just five minutes a day can provide you with so much clarity on the different patterns that you'd otherwise not see so I am the type of person that has to change up my habits quite frequently in order to keep the fire alive, (laughs) as you could say. So sometimes I'll be really into writing by hand in a journal or paper planners, and then I'll go through phases where I'm really into digital. Well, just last week I've started to get really into digital again and I've been using this note-taking app called mem.ai not a sponsor not affiliated whatsoever but it is such a cool application because it's kind of like Evernote or Bear which are two programs that I've used but it connects ideas through AI and you can link your notes in all these different ways and so I've been journaling every day with specific prompts and just the clarity I feel when I'm done from like a three to five minute writing session. I feel empowered, I feel like I've already cleared some of my guck that's on the inside. So I highly recommend trying that, whatever appeals to you, handwriting, a digital note-taking system, speaking, And there's an app called Otter where you can just speak and it'll transcribe, that's pretty cool. I like to do that on long walks when I have ideas. So whatever works for you. And if you need help with these journaling ideas, because I know that sometimes you get there, there's just a blank page, you're looking at it, you have no idea what to write. Journaling prompts are really helpful. You can Google some. If you have joined the Mind Love membership as an annual subscriber, you get a Trello board, which I find is the most fun way to have a journaling practice. I have a whole Trello board that I've set up with different topics, over 600 prompts, and you just drag them over to kind of plan out your week of what you want to journal about. And you can either write them right in the Trello cards, or you can write them in whatever note-taking application or planner or binder of your choice and it's just a really inspiring way to kind of get to the depths of the things that are really helpful when it comes to your self growth. So check out the MindLove membership options at mindlove.com membership because there are so many awesome bonuses. I'm going really hard with value within this membership and the price will eventually be going up so get in now as a founding member. You can find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. If you love this episode, share it with somebody or take a screenshot and tag me, MindLove Melissa, and MindLove Podcast, and share it on Instagram. I love hearing from you guys, so don't hesitate to reach out on Instagram as well. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week.